Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Tommy Chemos, NWT Pro, back on the show. It's been a little while since we've had Tommy on. We always enjoy getting his time here uh, on the podcast, so we're going to get a little bit of an update on how things are going, and then we're going to move pretty quickly into some summertime walleye conversations. You know, the, the, the summer walleyes, no matter where you live, what body of water you're on, uh, you know, big body of water, small body of water, uh, whatever it is, there's always a conversation. We've all got questions about, you know, summertime walleyes, whether it's where do they go, how do we find them, uh, Tommy, we talk about that. Uh, if you're on fish, sometimes getting them to bite can be the tricky thing, and Tommy's got some great stories and recommendations for that. And, uh, yeah, just some just some great big-picture talk here about summer walleyes, but Tommy's got some great uh, situational stories and just experiences from his own uh, from his own fishing career that are just they're so great, you know, entertaining but also educational. So, uh, great, great summer walleye conversation here with one of the best out there right now, Tommy Chemos. Let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by Devil's Lake, North Dakota. Devil's Lake is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. And to find out more about what the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer, head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. What has what what is sort of the update for this open water season for you this far, man? Go ahead. Yeah, you know, we're we're uh, we're kind of wrapping up with the NWT season. You know, it uh, started off pretty strong for me out in the Illinois River. And, uh, you know, from there we went to uh, Winnebago, which is one of the places I consider my home water. And, and uh, you know, the bite was pretty good there. And uh, I just made a, a couple of poor decisions as far as some of the fish that I threw back there. And that's one of the hurdles that, you know, that's part of tournament fishing and when we're dealing in situations where we can't call, sometimes you make brilliant decisions and sometimes they're, they're terrible. So um, I left there, you know, as a disappointing finish. And, and, and from there um, we went to South Dakota, uh, you know, Lake Francis case, which has been really good to me in the past. And this is the first year that we fished there in more in the summer. And it was amazing. Like the, the amount of fish in that system and the fact that there was fish anywhere from two foot of water to 60 foot of water uh, was amazing to me, but it also was um, kind of a challenge because I was getting pulled towards the deep tree fish. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the one, the fish that really ended up being the ones that you wanted to be chasing were the, the shallower bay fish and, and, you know, but, but that happens. And, and, you know, once again, we're not dealing with a situation where we, we can call. So it, it makes it super tricky. And that was a, that was a disappointing finish for sure. Um, we just got done at the Sioux and I ended up, um, 44th there, I believe. And, uh, you know, that, that was a great week. And I, I just kind of, just the rotation of spots in that tournament. I just, had some bad timing, um, but I, I caught a limit every day and uh, left there uh, in in decent shape to go to the championship. So uh, I ended up 29th for the season in Angler of the Year points, and I'm look I'm really looking forward to getting back out to Devil's Lake. You know, last time that we had a championship there in Devil's Lake, I uh, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I, I ended up second and I threw the winning fish back two times on the last day of the tournament. So um, when we talk about decisions in tournament fishing, yeah. uh, there, there's a few of them that, that haunt you for a long time. And that's one of them. Um, uh, John Hoyer thanks me for that day, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that I'm, I'm hungry to get back there. That's for sure. Talk me through that at this point in your career, you fish so many tournaments when it comes down to those decisions, like, like how bad do they hurt and how much do you have to learn from it? Well, you know, it always hurts. And the first thing is, you know, when, when you go into any tournament, you know, obviously the, the goal is to win the event. Right. And there's just some tournaments that you just don't have that type of practice 
to where you you are on the winning fish and and i've been around the block long enough to know you know when when that's happening and it, it just you know that's the reality of it. it you don't always figure it out and and um you know so you have to make your decisions based on you can't make the decisions about what you keep based on the potential of the lake you have to make those decisions based on what you were catching and you know, sometimes you're just, you're just not on the right fish, but there's other times where, you, you know, I take, you know, some of these bodies of water that I have a ton of history on and I, I don't necessarily need to have a great pre-fish to know what I, what I need to catch or what, what I potentially, you know, Winnebago is an example of that. Like, you know, you can take yourself out of that tournament, out of a chance of winning the tournament just by keeping a few of the wrong fish, uh, you know, and, and these bodies of water where we don't have giant fish in them, you know, where you're, you're the difference between winning is a three pounder compared to a two pounder. You don't have a lot of ground to make up there. If you, you keep, you know, let's say you keep three, two pounders, you know, that that's, that's like, that's like basically losing an entire fish at that point. If you're talking about, an event where you need, you know, five, three pounders each day to win it. So, um, and, and listen, there, there's nothing wrong with getting lucky and having your best fish come first. That, that changes the whole, the whole game also, you, you know, so it, it's, uh, I think that my experience in the years that I've been doing this, I don't know that it's helped me to make the right decisions more so than it's helped me to not panic about it. Oh, good um, call. Good point. You know, so, so it's, you know, you don't have any control over it, you know, on a, when I go out at the beginning of a tournament day, I have in mind what I'm going to be catching and, um, you know, depending on how good the fishery is, that, <laughs> that's going to make the decision, you know, about what time you go from being in tournament winning and check cashing mode to survival mode, you know, and, and so, and by that, I mean, going and figuring out a way to catch your last couple fish. And sometimes in survival mode, you'll, you'll, you may catch your best fish, but, um, you know, um, it was a good example of that where I felt like I needed to, um, be in the top 50 to ensure that I made the championship this year. So, you know, on day one, I fished to win it till about one o'clock. And then I'm like, you know what? I have to, I have to be in at, at three twenty, and I'm a long ways from uh takeoff. I need to go and get my last two fish. I had three decent fish in the box and I'm like, I got to go get my last two fish. And I had found a place that you could get some, you know, 16 to 18 inches pretty quick. And I ran, got them, got my two. And then I, you know, went back to trying to, trying to at least get, get one more good bite. So, you know, you, every place is a little different and your mindset is a little bit different based on, you know, where you're sitting for, for angler of the year that plays a huge role into it as well. I mean, the, the, the absolute end goal of every season is to, make the championship you cannot win the championship which i think is the biggest deal in the sport if you don't qualify for it right so you know the bigger picture i definitely wanted to have you on tommy i love the recaps i love the i love getting an opportunity to ask you for a tournament story here and there because that stuff's really entertaining um but I, we got to cover a topic. We got to pick a topic, a lane, something fishy that we can talk about in this. And, you know, time of year right now, we're talking, it's a lot of summer walleye conversations going on. But a tournament angler like you, you've been around for a long time. You kind of know the story. You know that summer swing. Uh, and you've probably figured some things out in your time. So for you, what are some of the more interesting conversations to have? Or, or what are some personal stories and personal uh, you know, memories that you have as far as figuring out some of these tougher bites in the summer, man, I'm just going to lay that topic on you. You take it wherever you want, but let, let's talk about some summer walleyes. All right. Yeah. You know, I actually have a, a great story that, um, I'm actually glad that you, you 
we're kind of steering this in this direction because, you know, as, as everybody knows, you know, forward facing sonar has had such a tremendous impact on, on the sport. I'm a, I'm a Garmin guy, but everybody has, uh, you know, everybody has some version of it out there now, but, you know, I, I grew, grew up and I live in an area here. It's called the Lake country area in, in Southeastern Wisconsin. And, you know, a lot of times uh, that's where I'll, I'll do my fun fishing and whatnot. And, and, uh, the one thing that I learned this year and I've, I've had my suspicions and everything, but the combination of past experience and, <clears throat> paying attention to my forward facing sonar, I learned something pretty wild this year. And that is, um, you know, right, right before the 4th of July, that's kind of when you're getting into, or we get into our, our full kind of summer bite down here. And it, it is really good typically, um, as good as it can be, you know, we're not talking devil's Lake or Missouri river numbers of fish here, but, um, you know, just, just a good bite. And, Right before the fourth, I was kind of running around a bunch of the different lakes here and, and just trying to see how many different places had the same pattern going on. And I was, I, w- I was, you know, running these schools down and, and, and casting baits at the schools, um, you know, mostly, mostly glide baits and that type of thing. But I was also playing around with some different plastics and so on and so forth. And I just couldn't believe how good the bite was and how basically simple it was as, as far as how the fish were set up, they were set up on the thermoclines and basically anywhere the thermocline met any sort of structure where it, whether it was a point, a rock pile, or, or even just a nice break line, you know, where you, you had some vegetation or whatnot. And it was, it was, it was easy. And, and, uh, you know, so I was having a good time with that. And then the 4th of July came around and all these lakes down here are loaded with, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to be the old man here complaining about the water skiers, but uh, all these lakes down here are full of these um, wake boats, I think is what they call them oh, now. They're, yeah. you, you know, they fill them up with water and they make these giant waves. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I stayed off the lakes for a few days and, and, uh, you know, celebrated the 4th of July and so on and so forth. And after the 4th, I had planned on the one lake was so good that I had planned on shooting a next bite episode on it. And I was just about ready to pull the trigger on it. And I thought, you know what, I better just go out and check before I get the cameraman down here. And I went back out on the lake. And it was like a completely different lake. I mean, it was unbelievable how tore up the lake was. But what what was amazing to me is that that thermocline was nowhere to be found anymore. Okay, so five days earlier, I was catching the fish. You know, the thermocline was at about 16, 18 foot. And now it was gone. And, and occasionally that'll happen if you have real high sustained winds. But we, we didn't have that. So just those just that boat traffic running around beating up on, on the lake, it completely changed the pattern. So had I not recognized that right away, I, I would have been, you know, I, I would have been completely stumped as to what what just went on there. But I, I could recognize it right away. And I realized that I just went from having the perfect conditions for catching walleyes in the summer to having the worst conditions. So it basically went into a, um, a turnover situation. Everybody knows that fall turnover when it first occurs, the fishing can be really bad because you've essentially just flipped that whole lake and the fish are there. They, they scatter out because they're, they're, you know, I don't know if disorientated is the right word or not, but there's, there isn't a comfort zone for them anymore. So they can be anywhere. And that's what I found here. So I called off the, the camera crew. Cause I'm like, this is going to be tough, but it was a challenge for me. Cause I wanted to, I wanted to see if I could figure it out. And what I found out was the fishing was just crappy for like the next week. 
but I had to keep an open mind because the fish were anywhere from the inside weed edges of these lakes all the way down to 40 foot, which 40 foot usually never happens around here because the lakes are, are so deep and, and, and stay cold. It's very rare that we have that type of, you know, a deep bite here. So, you know, I, I guess the, the point of this whole thing is to, you know, make sure that you, in the summer, as good as the bite can be, you still have to pay attention to the, the water temperature and the outside factors, whether it's, even if you're just a weekend angler, you know, pay it. I always preach this, but if you're planning on going fishing in, in Madison next weekend, be watching that Madison weather all week long. And if you see that there's big sustained winds from a certain direction, that's going to dictate how you're going to want to fish to be successful right away out there. And that's, you know, going back to the forward facing sonar piece of this, you know, you, you not only can see fish with that, but you can see different water temperatures and different bands in the water of different colors and so on and so forth. And that's what really made me quickly recognize that, you know, something had drastically change there so as good as summer fishing can be um, especially when you're dealing with some of these smaller bodies of water there there's some outside factors that can can really make it difficult but if you kind of know that going into it you can definitely save yourself some uh, some wasted time looking for them in some places where they're just simply not going to be Devil's Lake, North Dakota is one of North Dakota's premier outdoor recreational destinations. We talk about the fishing all the time on this show, but to find out what the lake and the community has to offer, which is way more than we ever talk about on this show, you can head to devilslakend.com and get all that. We're talking about the lodging and restaurant options and just the lay of the land and everything going on in the community. There's all kinds of stuff all summer long going on in and around the community of Devil's Lake. Also, our favorite, the fishing tab. It's going to give you real-time fishing reports, directions to fish cleaning stations and boat landings and shore fishing piers, which are awesome, by the way. Also, it's going to give you a list of options for boat rentals or guide services and bait shops. Everything that you need to plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake is at devilslakend.com. That link is in the description of this podcast. One thing you're talking about there, you're talking about sustained winds and things like that. You know, out here, like on the Missouri River, uh, you know, the reservoirs and the whole Missouri River system and, you know, some of these bigger bodies of water that we consider to be very wind driven. Do you find like a lot of these smaller, those like those Wisconsin lakes that, that you're talking about in southeast Wisconsin, do you find that to be really wind driven like that um, it helps you find spots and find fish or activate fish? Or like, how do you treat the wind if it is like like, like a st- sustained walleye chop? Like, what does that really do, uh, you know, to your decision-making when you're, you know, making your decisions on the water each day? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of a natural instinct to, to fish the wind-blown stuff. But at the same time, you know, on these smaller bodies of water, these fish end up becoming so thermocline dependent, um, you know, by dependent meaning, you know, they just get locked into being at a, a certain temperature and, and a, a certain type of water. And when you get, even on these smaller lakes, if you get, you know, let's say you're on the, you, you got a heavy east wind and you're fishing on the west side, what you're going to notice is that that thermocline is going to start to dissipate on the windblown sides of the lakes. Whereas on the, you know, on the, um, the calmer side, you're still going to have a thermocline, but what it'll do is it's going to, it's going to switch levels. You know, um, typically if the wind is blowing offshore, it's going to make that it's going to make that thermocline actually rise up a little bit. So it's going to become shallower. So, I mean, we, we see an insane 
you know, kind of version of that on, on Lake Michigan here, if you get real heavy west winds, we, you know, we call it icing out the, the surface temperature will go from, you know, say being 65 degrees to, you know, you could see it drop as much as 25 degrees sometimes, depending on what time of year it is. So that that's a drastic change, but on these smaller bodies of water, I don't think people pay it quite enough attention to that and don't realize that it's just on a very much smaller scale, but it, it absolutely affects the fish. So on the wind blowing side, there's going to be a much larger range that those fish can be in um, versus, you know, the, the lee side of the lake, if that, if that makes any sense. Oh man, I think that makes a bunch of sense. And it's definitely something I've overlooked a bunch because I, I grew up and I still like to go back and fish where I grew up in Ottertail County, Minnesota, lots of small lakes. But, you know, I like I like your your example of using the Great Lakes, uh, or, you know, Lake Michigan as an example, because I think that's another thing, too, that, you know, an angler like yourself that travels, you've experienced a lot of fishing where some of those lessons are easier learned somewhere else. And you can bring it back to, say, a smaller home body of water that's in your backyard, wherever you live or whatever. And, um, and, and it kind of shines a new light maybe on a lake you fished forever, your whole life, you grew up on it, but you sometimes got to get away from it to learn something and bring it back, you know, and bring it home. And I think that a lot of people be able to relate to that. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Like just here, just hearing you kind of break that down a little bit. It, it reminded me a little bit of you know, speaking of otter tail, we had our championship there a couple of years ago. Oh yeah. And, and those fish were, those fish were set up. Like if the wind would blow, they would go right to the inside weed edges, which like it was so obvious. And the whole time I'm out there fishing, I'm like, all I could think about were some of the lakes back home here where like, you know, what as as many different bodies of water as I've fished and as long as I've been doing this, I'm like, you know, why don't I ever look for these things on the inside weed edges back home? Typically, once we get into the summer pattern, I I abandon the inside weed edges for walleyes, you know. And once again, like you say, getting sometimes getting away opens your eyes to something that you've been missing out back home. And, and that that's absolutely the case. You get into that later summer pattern and all of a sudden those fish start showing up on those inside weed edges. And a, a part of that is, you know, I, I, around here, a part of it is because of the lake shiners, the lake shiners, when you, as soon as it starts to kind of, you get that first kind of cooling in late summer, the lake shiners will move into the shallows and, and those fish will move right in and, 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 and um, ambush them on the inside weed edges. So yeah, it's, it, it, it's kind of cool. The different stuff that, uh, that you stumble into, you know, in, in your travels and, and the fun part about fishing is there's always something to learn and there's, there's always a parallel, you know, no matter what body of water you're fishing, the forage may be different, the exact type of structure they may be holding on is different, but um, sometimes just the, the attitude of the fish and, and their, you know, kind of their, their um, seasonal um, setups as far as how they set up and feed are, are very much the same though. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I agree. I want to dig into that a little bit. Like, let's talk about your strategy, your summer strategy on some of these smaller inland style lakes, you know, like, like the, where that are around where you live. Because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Does You don't have to be from Wisconsin. You know, Minnesota's loaded with lakes like that. We've got them all across the Midwest. Like, and there's walleyes in so many of them. Uh, you know, but what is, like, what's your summer strategy as far as like, what are you thinking about before you head out there? You know, we've already talked some of the environmental things that, you know, you're looking at weather, but even like presentations, like, like, like what are, what's some of your philosophy as far as things you want to have rigged up? What's kind of your arsenal when you head out this time of year? Well, you know, on, on your smaller inland lakes that have vegetation, you're going, you're almost always going to have some sort of a, 
um, deep weed bite, whether it's a, a weed edge or a weed flat. And depending on how the layout of the lake is, you know, a lot of times you can't beat, you know, more of a, like a power corking technique or uh, a slip bobber technique where you're, you're even, you know, where you're kind of finessing the fish a little bit with, with live bait. Um, but typically what I'm going to be doing, you know, that that's kind of like, I'll do more of that around the bug hatches, which are like, uh, you know, early to mid summer is when we seem like we get most of them around here. And, uh, you know, you, you basically are going to finesse them, uh, you know, with, with a, a leech at that point, or you're going to, you know, fish more of your, your aggressive techniques, whether it's, you know, ripping uh, a jig and, and uh, a paddle tail, or obviously the conversation is on glide baits, you know, that oh, yeah. once, once that water temperature gets above 60, uh, I, I'm, I always have a shiverman on the deck. Um, I, I'm always going to have, uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the, um, the ripple shad, you know, which is a, um, really nice, super tight, um, you know, paddle tail that you can rip through the weeds real nice. So you're, you know, I'm either going to try to, to trigger a strike w- with something real aggressive like that, or I'm going to finesse them. I, I prefer to trigger them. And, and, you know, when I, when I fish, typically I'm always trying to learn something and I'm always trying to tweak different things. So, you know, the slip bobber piece, that's something that I know catches them. And, and, you, you know, if I really need a fish, I can do that, but I'm always trying to get ahead of that and, 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 you know, tweak the next, the next thing or, or get a little better at something that I'm, I'm not great at, but, you know, with, with the, once again, with forward facing sonar now, you know, there's a couple mysteries in these lakes that have been unlocked as far as what starts to happen mid to late summer, you know, that's the time of year when we get into, you know, the, the basins of these lakes are loaded with young of the year, you name it, right. Whether it's perch, bluegills, crappies, shiners, you know, it's just, it's just like a buffet swimming around out there in the basins. And, and, you know, traditionally if you were, uh, you know, a jig fisherman or, 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 a bobber fisherman or whatever, you would just go fish the windblown side of the lake and, you know, hope, hope to run in, run into some active fish. And typically those windblown sides, some of that bait is going to blow in and it's going to create a good situation to, to get a bite. But now with, with forward facing sonar, you know, I, I can, I can drive around and I can cast at those suspended fish where, in the past, the only way to get at them would be to put your boards out in some crankbaits or spinners and rip circles around in the lake and, and, you know, at the depth that you're seeing them at and hope to get bit. But one, one key note to all this is that typically these basin fish, when you mark them on your 2d sonar, they're not actually at that depth. They're they're I'm sorry, they're at that depth, but they're not living there. So, the the biggest thing that I've I've found with the forward facing stuff is it it shows me exactly where those fish are at depth wise without without having any anything interrupting them. Okay, so as soon as I drive over those fish and they feel the pressure of that boat, they're either swimming up or they're swimming down. Most of the time, it's swimming down. So that makes it difficult to really dial in your trolling presentation enough to figure out, you know, exactly where you need to have baits. The other huge thing with the trolling issue around here is that all these lakes are full of vegetation. So it's a, you're constantly cleaning uh, weeds off of your, whether it's your crankbaits or your spinners or your planer boards getting gummed up with it. So it's, it turns into something that, you know, normally we talk about open water trolling is something that's really efficient in these smaller lake settings, it, it really isn't efficient. And, 
you're you're much better off just trying to snipe the fish and that that's that's really what i've what i've spent a lot a lot more time doing and and uh you know you hate to talk you hate to continue to talk about it but it is the hot topic and if you're not paying attention to it you're missing you're missing out on one of the one of the greater pieces of modern fishing right now do you feel like in the summer or at least this summer, like since you've gotten forward sonar, maybe this has changed for you, but do you feel like this is the time of year where you're fishing specific spots or waypoints? Or is this uh, you know, a time of year where you feel like you're trying to narrow down the areas, you know, the area versus spot on the spot conversation? What's that like for you this time of year? I, I would say more of the areas because, you know, once again, we're, th- these bodies of water are full of bait. And the fish aren't, the majority of the fish aren't on structure. They're, you know, this doesn't pertain to everybody water, but for the most part, the majority of the, the fish, at least the fish that we're trying to target, they, they're, they're holding on the bait. They're not holding on the structure. And, and you know, they're, they're out hunting it down there, you know, all of this time of year, the, walleye's metabolism is is about you know wide open right so they're they're starting to feed like crazy there's way more um you know there's there's way more bite windows they may not be during the during the day per se but um there there's they're hungry and they're eating and they're they're it's all about the bait and that you know not to switch this over to the great lakes but and it even pertains to the reservoirs, you know, the, the fish start to, the fish start to relate less to the structure and more to the bait. And, and, uh, you know, we're seeing that everywhere now, but on the great lakes, you know, green Bay here, right in my backyard, you know, the, the alewives kind of rule the, the entire bite for early to mid summer. And then all of a sudden, they get uncomfortable and they, they, they head into deep water. There's a small group of fish that will track them down, but eventually they get to a depth where the walleyes aren't comfortable being at. Um, just because it's, it's so cold in Lake Michigan. And all of a sudden those fish will transition back from being on that open water bait to eating whatever they can, which is, in, in Green Bay, it's gobies. So that whole bite will, will change. And all of a sudden, those fish will go from being full and completely just locked in on, on eating the alewives to their metabolism is, is wide open and, and they don't have the food that they need anymore to, to sustain them. So they're just, they're, they're feeding machines. And that is when the bite gets like, incredible which is that's typically august through the beginning of september like we're into that zone now on green bay so those in in that situation you know those fish are transitioning now from depending on what part of the bay you're at they're transitioning from being open water predators to now they're they're getting back on the structures that hold the 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 other forage for them which is you know, primarily gobies, right? So, um, and then as you get more into the southern part of the bay, there's a, a shad population. So they'll switch over onto the the shad down south. And that's why the trolling bite continues on the southern part of the bay because they're onto the shad now, which are, you know, they're, they're open water fish as well. So um, it, it's a, it is a dynamic situation on the Great Lakes, but it's, you know, it, it isn't any different on these smaller lakes. It's just the the balls of bait are smaller and, and the forage types are a little bit different. But the you know, walleyes are feeding machines and they'll and they're they're opportunistic and I would say the only walleyes that aren't opportunistic for whatever reason and I've never been able to figure it out are some of those Missouri River fish will starve themselves before they'll eat anything other than a smelt. So yeah. Yeah, that yeah, you're right, dude. The, you're so that is it's so funny. In fact, I had a really good conversation with 
you know, legendary uh, uh, angler, Gord Pizer, you know, Ontario guy. And uh, he was yeah. talking about how some of these fish that live in these, you know, where there's Cisco's uh, or these smelt populations, the, you know, the, that type of forage base, these fish, yeah, like, like it, it's like Thanksgiving. Like you, you starve yourself a little bit before Thanksgiving dinner when you go to grandma's because you just want to have the good meal and you don't want to be too full of ramen noodles, you know, when, right. the, when the turkey comes out of the oven, right? Like it's like, you know, they're just, they can get really locked in. And, but you know, what I'm really getting from this, which I think is interesting that I think is definitely what so many of us, uh, you know, all the presentation electronics conversation out of it, like understanding the forage base in whatever body of water you want to put your time into or whatever, wherever you're fishing, like spending time researching forage, and what might be going on out there. And that's something that you don't need forward sonar to go out and look for. I mean, 2D sonar can show you where bait is at. And, you know, and so there's, there's so much there, you know, that this time of year, it, you know, can, can help you stay around fish, which I think is the, that is definitely the thing is like, if you can leverage your electronics to keep you around fish, um, and be in the right area, um, you know, that in itself will give you those opportunities to just, you know, just have a better day uh, than maybe the things you weren't, you know, you were paying attention to what color, you know, your baits were or this or that, you know, some of those things that probably don't come into play till later, you know, as far as decision making goes, but, you know, to, to sort of keep going down this path, I want to get back into the presentation conversation. Cause I like to talk about that. I want to talk about, um, you know, uh, you know, getting fish to bite, you know, some of your recommendations there. So let's talk about, let's pick one of your favorite, you know, uh, August timeframe presentations and sort of break it down. And, and some of the things that you've learned with forward sonar, as far as getting fish to react, like how diverse, how versatile are you with some, I know you're a glide bait guy. We've talked about that before. It's been a while though. So I, I don't want to take anything off the table here, whatever you think is like your most productive, presentation this time of year uh on those lakes uh that you're spending your time on like let's break that down a little bit that that kind of brings something to mind here for me you know so often now we're 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 looking at fish and we're casting at them and you know once again it kind of depends on the body of water and how many targets you're going to have you know coming off of coming off of the sioux you know i i made a big mistake there presentation wise in in the fact that i i got locked in early on you know i was strictly fishing a um i was fishing a shiver minnow and then a a prototype that's coming from berkeley that's going to be the next big thing i think but uh um the i was fishing those two baits and in that the shiver minnow was I felt like I was getting about 75% of the fish that I cast at to react to it and bite it, which is pretty darn good. Right. Oh, and, yeah. uh, I, I played around, you know, the first day of practice, I, I, I was in front of a lot of fish. I, I caught quite a few fish. I, I spent a lot of time once I felt like I had a bait that they would bite. I spent a lot of time experimenting with different colors and, and different sizes. And I just, I came back to that number three shiver minnow and, and from that day forward, I just had a lot of confidence in it. And I, I, I made a mistake because I fished the rest of the week and I, I just, I, I I just made that decision that this was my, going to be my bait. And, And I committed to it. And there was quite a few fish that I ended up casting at that, with that bait where I was like, well, if they're not going to eat this, they're just not, they're not eating, you know? And that was, that was foolish. So the, you know, the, the big thing this time of year, you know, every different body of water, they like a different color. I mean, the one, the, the shiver minnow color that you can't leave home without is, is shell bell, you know, that that's going to get you a bite everywhere, but, but, you know, your blue chromes are, 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 are solid for sure. Um, but you know, as far as like the, the couple different presentations, you know, there's, 
I always try to see if they'll react to that glide bait. And sometimes when the fish are, are up higher off the bottom, if they're not going to chase the bait down, they can be really hard to catch on a glide bait because it's moving so fast and it's hard to stay up in that strike zone. And in that, in that situation, you know, you're, you're better off going to, um, you know, a, a, a jig, jig and, and paddle tail or a jig and more of a fluke style bait, something that's going to, going to fish a little bit, a little bit lighter, you know, um, that you can keep up above those fish. But the one thing that I've definitely learned is that, you know, speed kills this time of year. And a lot of times if you're not getting bit, it's because you're not moving fast enough. And, uh, you know, just, just presenting those fish as what you're casting and fishing past them is, is fleeting them is trying fleeing them and is trying to get away. A lot of times that will, that will trigger that strike. So, you know, as, as far as the presentation goes, I'm going to try to just drop on the fish, see how they react, see if they, when that bait hits the water, if they start swimming up at it, then that glide bait might not be your best choice. Then for sure going to a jig and some sort of a um, plastic combo, you know, I'm a Berkeley guy. So we have a, we have a ton of different ton of different choices there are usually more choices than time but um you know uh typically though if if they're coming up that tells me that a little bit any bait that i can get their attention with and i can keep up above them they're tuned into feeding you know feeding up that's going to be the bait whereas if i cast and they don't react till it swims down past them that usually tells me that you know that that uh glide bait is going to get me plenty of bites at that point run me through some of your preferences or some of the details with your glide bait setup that you know just like how that is for you the you know these days some of the details that really matter what does your setup look like i'm talking you know your line your leader uh you know your rod and real choices like what are some of those uh you know gear recommendations that you find to to really matter yeah you know the I, I, you know, anybody that's ever heard me talk about jig fishing or glide bait fishing, I'm a big medium extra fast fan. And once again, like in glide bait fishing, a lot of times those fish are, are going to bite on the fall. So the next, the next stroke is actually going to be your hook set. And if you have a rod that's too slow, what's going to happen is you're going to have it back around, you know, we're talking baits that are up to one ounce here. So you need to drive the hook into those fish and initially get a good, good hook set on them right on the bite. And that's where that medium extra fast comes into play. The other thing that that does, because it loads up real quickly and is such a fast tip, it also gives you a little extra pop to the bait on, on, on every stroke. The end of that stroke, you get a little bit more of a, more of a pop there versus, you know, on a softer or slower rod at the end of your stroke, you're not going to get like that extra acceleration. Whereas, you know, every time I, I go to, to rip that bait or stroke that bait up, I'm picturing that there's already a fish that's swimming behind it. That's getting ready to eat it. And right as it's getting ready to eat it, that thing is escaping the fish it's swimming up behind it to try to grab it. And at the last minute, that thing kind of changes speed and direction. Like they can't resist that. Like they, that absolutely triggers them at that point. And in the case of the shiver minnow, when you do that, it actually rolls up and does the death roll, which is something that I think is super important in, 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 in that bait and it's something that's built into it that's very special it, it mimics that if you've ever seen a an alewife or a shad or any sort of bait fish that's doing the death spiral um that's what that bait does and that extra pop in that in that rod makes a diff, big difference so on my 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 line setup you know there there's a I, i'm using uh um berkeley fire line i've 
hovered back and forth between six and 10 pound test. There's, you know, certain situations where I like six, if somebody was just going to get put, set up a rod to do it, I'd say go with 10. And uh, as far as my fluorocarbon, I use uh, my leader. I use a 15 pound, hundred uh, percent Berkeley fluorocarbon leader. The reason for that heavier line is twofold or heavier leader material. Number one, I want a little bit, I found on the shiver minnows that little bit stiffer line. It actually helps that bait to, to roll and it actually, it helps it to walk the dog a lot better because that resistance of the line actually holds that bait up a little bit more. The other thing, the ob- other obvious thing is, you know, zebra mussels are something that we just have to deal with now. But in a lot of the presentations with the shiver minnow, you're making bottom contact. And every time you're making bottom contact, you, you have a one ounce bait that's going wide open and crashing into the bottom. So that, that extra abrasion resistance of the fluorocarbon is, is huge also. And the 15 pound is also, you know, quite a bit more forgiving in that standpoint, but it, it's, you know, th- there's a, there's a reason for it too, as far as the presentation goes, it's not just to save, save a couple baits. It, it, I, I feel like the baits run a lot better with, that heavier, you know, stiffer fluorocarbon. As far as the the main line, you know, in talking about the six pound piece, like that is more to do when I'm fishing really deep water or super fast current. There's just less less resistance there, not a ton, but it, it's noticeable, you know. And and um, the average guy probably isn't going to notice it, but um, I, I do think it makes a little bit of a difference and, and you know in if there's in certain cases that line resistance is going to slow the bait the fall of the bait down and it's going it, it can kill the action and kill the 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 you know the reaction piece of the bait the reaction speed of the bait so um you, you know and, and then uh as far as far as a reel goes you know uh i i prefer the size 30 reels, you know, I'm using the Abu Garcia reels. They, they hold a, a little, they have a little bit larger spool, a little bit quicker uh, gear ratio, which helps in the, you know, just the pickup of the line. You know, you're, you're ripping that bait pretty fast and covering a fair amount of water. So it's nice to be able to quickly reel down, especially if you get a bite like at the top of your stroke. It gives you the ability to quickly reel down on the fish. And, you know, one of the biggest things with, I hear people complain that they lose a lot of fish on glide baits. And one of the biggest things is that people are, 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 are not maintaining good, good solid tension on, on the bait. You know, it, once again, it's a one ounce bait. So if you can picture that fish down there, when you set the hook, walleyes, you know, they do the, they do the death shake or they, they'll just open their mouths and shake that bait straight from side to side. And it's the scariest thing ever because you can feel that bait popping across their teeth, you know, and, and as if you don't have good solid pressure at that point, that bait is actually absolutely going to come out of that thing's mouth. So um, just maintaining that good pressure. And the other thing that I've learned over the years is that you want to lean towards reeling them in a little bit harder than putting a little bit more pressure on them than you normally would. And I've found since I've started to do that a little bit more that I'm landing a lot more of those fish. Right on, man. Tommy, so much great information in this. Like, like, and, and I feel like we're definitely just scratching the surface on co- so many conversations or, or routes that we could take for this time of year and, and all the things that are going on on all the different situations people run into. But the conversation about, you know, understanding what wind can do on a lake, especially smaller lakes, and that, um, you know, weed lines, windblown weed lines can catch so many fishermen this time of year, but it's definitely not always 
what you need to be looking at to keep yourself around fish. Uh, and I think that um, being around fish is probably the big portion of the battle for so many, you know, uh, so many amateurs like me, you know, where you, we're still just trying to figure out where these fish are living this time of year. And, you know, realizing that um, wind can sometimes not always be your friend on your best spots. And then, you know, learning about forage base and just how important that is. Uh, to, to keep you around fish. Uh, obviously, the fishing stories and the gear recommendations are so huge uh, coming from your experience. So I appreciate all of this, Tommy. But um, anything else anything else along these lines that you want to add, uh, go ahead. Otherwise, I feel like this has just been a great conversation and we can wrap it up. Yeah, you know, one little piece that I missed out on here, I do have to do a little plug here. Um, in talking about the rods, I'm super excited because in that the Fenwick line, they've redone their world-class rods. And in talking about medium, extra fast, there's there's two models in that lineup right now that are the deal for glide bait fishing that I'm, I'm really excited about. And, and uh, um, I, it's going to be something that people are going to want to pay attention to. But Right on. That's it, man. Uh, we'll just cross this off with you, um, you know, anywhere that people can find you if they have questions or want to follow along or maybe uh, they want to find some content of yours. Uh, just promote yourself here a little bit and that's how we'll wrap it up. Yeah, you know, a lot of the things that we've talked about here, you know, you can check us out. Uh, as all of you know, I'm a host of The Next Bite and uh, we have a pretty extensive library of uh shows on youtube that you can check out and you know there's a ton of glide bait stuff there's just some incredible information there i'm also on instagram and and facebook you can check me out it's just tommy chemos and uh um you know follow along at what i'm doing but uh if you can't catch me on one of my social channels you'll definitely find me doing something with the next bite so that's it, man. I appreciate it. All right. Take care now. Once again, this episode of the JMO Podcast is brought to you by Devil's Lake Tourism. Head to devilslakend.com. That link is in the description. And you're going to find out everything that the lake and the community of Devil's Lake has to offer before you plan your next adventure in Devil's Lake, North Dakota.